Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take a look at sequels, remakes, and reboots. And we ask the very, very simple question, who did it best? Now, I am incredibly excited. I've been looking forward to doing this episode for a while. Um, I'm CP. This is D-Man. D-Man, why are we so psyched about this week's? Well, I've had this marked on my calendar for a while, and that's because we're actually going to be discussing a bona fide remake this week. So it was a uh, great theater experience, and oh, we're going to am- get into all that. Amazing. Freaking yeah. amazing. We're going to get into all that, but, you know, we'll go ahead and just uh, throw it out there. We are going to be reviewing the new Dune Part 1 versus the 1984 Dune. So it is kind of a, a odd comparison in the sense that we'll, you know, right off the top, we'll dive into the story a little bit. This is a part one and encompasses maybe slightly over half of the overall story from both the book and the 1984 version. So as you can tell, the 1984 version is the entire story in one movie, which is actually, if I'm not mistaken, it might even be less of a runtime than part one. <laughs> it's, it's actually, I think, about 15 minutes less than the 2021 <laughs> version. Which is pretty impressive that they were able to pack all that story in. But eh, is it? Is it? Well, there's a lot to unbox here <laughs> when we get into these. So the first of which is, you know, when we look at Dune as a story, uh, what stands out to me is it reminds me a lot of Lord of the Rings. So I bring that up because these are two works that were, you know, roughly, I don't know, 50 plus years old by the time they were uh, adapted in the the versions that, you know, we grew up with, both the versions the Peter Jackson. Happened. Yeah, the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. And now, how do you say, is it Dennis... How do you Villa, say his last name? I thought it was Villanueva, but... Villanueva, okay. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure I get it right, but I'm not 100% on that. So if I'm wrong, just correct me in the comments. But uh, total visionary filmmaker here. Uh, he's using all kinds of cool cinematography to tell this story. But before we get into the cinematography and the effects and all of that type of stuff, yeah, what really stood out to me was Dune as a story. It seems like it's such a complex world such a political world that it's hard to uh really take it all in on one viewing there's just so much going on oh totally totally now audience like i think the first thing that we need to get out of the way before we can really continue this conversation is and you alluded to it earlier the viewing experience of dune the 2021 version has to occur on the big screen Now, I have watched it many times on the big screen. I've watched it many times not on the big screen. You are totally missing out if you figure, eh, I got HBO Max. I'll throw it on and watch it on a Saturday. Don't do it. Don't do (laughs) it. You are robbing yourself of an incredible cinematic experience. Well, and that's exactly what it is, a cinematic experience. I think that's why, you know, every once in a while, one of these movies comes along where either you want to be there for the crowd in the community, a la maybe Star Wars, The Force Awakens or Avengers Endgame. And then sometimes there's just movies that are, they're a cinematic experience, maybe closer to Avatar in 3D, right? Where it was truly a cinematic experience. You know, uh, it was worth it to put those 3D glasses on and really take that deep dive into Pandora. And here, the cinematography is so 
large in scale. There's just, there's a lot to look at. And when we get into the cinematography, I'm going to say this, I don't think a lot of it is wasted, which is good. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's an incredible experience. And what comes to mind for me is, I don't think you can really talk about Dune without talking about Blade Runner 2049. Which is Dennis Villanueva's as well. uh, previous sci-fi. Like, yeah. his, I think it was his last sci-fi, major sci-fi entry at least. So the point is, I mean, obviously at some point down the line, we will compare the original Blade Runner in 2049 on this show. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. You and I have, have talked about this a lot, and I get really pissed off with 2049 because it looks so beautiful. There's so many great shots, and you just, it's the most incredible world that he has created on the screen, yet it's lacking in story, it's lacking in characterization. There are moments that are wasted. And I feel like. <laughs> As a filmmaker, I feel like he grew when Dune came out. Dune is that cinematic beauty with a stronger story, more characterization, but more importantly, there's not a moment on screen that I think is wasted. And I think that's, that's a real testament to quality filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really important element. And I know, like you, know, like you said, this isn't an, ep- an episode about Blade Runner 2049. But when we take a look at that and you look at kind of what is happening in that film and how that translates to, I think, a more successful way in Dune, what you're looking at is really kind of two elements. And that is in the story, I think Dune, or I think Blade Runner 2049, its story hinges on this, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, it hinges on this concept that the robots or the, uh, what are their names? Replicas. uh, Replicants. They can have kids, right? And I think the problem is that when you do revelations in movies, they need to both be important for the characters and important for the audience. And in this case, I think for the story, it was important for the characters, but I think us in the audience were like, okay, I guess robots can have kids. Like, it wasn't like, oh, no way. Like, I can't believe it. That's wild, you know? And so yeah. in this case, it's, it's a huge revelation in world, but not necessarily for us in the audience. And so a lot of it, it doesn't necessarily carry the story weight that it needs to carry. Um, and there's structural things you and I have talked about that they could do to remedy that. But like a perfect example of the opposite, again, spoiler alert, is like Star Trek Into Darkness. In that case, they do the con reveal. And that is big for the audience. Everyone in the audience is like, whoa, it's con. But everybody in world is kind of like, who the hell is that? You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. who Khan is. And again, we've talked, you know, maybe you have old Spock or something kind of discuss these, these elements earlier in the film. So the characters in film would also be shocked by said revelation, but they don't do it that way. So it kind of doesn't hit right. It feels more like fan service. Like they're just kind of appealing, right? And then mm-hmm. I have to throw this in there because this is the one that works. And it's, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. In How did we Back. know so, he was going to reference Star Wars here? Spoiler alert. Darth Vader telling Luke Skywalker that he is his father is both shocking for him and us. And that's why <laughs> it's one of the greatest, you know, cinematic reveals, you know, uh, plot twists in cinematic history because it works on both levels. And so I think when you, you look story-wise at that and you translate it 
towards Dune, even though the book's been out forever, right? And there's a lot of elements in the book that it's like, if you were a first time story goer, it might be better served if certain revelations happen later. Here, I think they're making almost all the right decisions with the story, laying it out, kind of addressing the politics up front. So you're not kind of wondering about it later. They're trying to get it out of the way. I think it works really well. Yeah. No. I so, and I want to get your opinion on this because you said you talked to somebody and they brought up the fact that they were disappointed that there was a certain revelation about Spice that was revealed right out of the get-go, right in the uh, VO at the beginning. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a huge Dune fan, uh, which ironically enough, you're not, neither you or I are big fans of the novels. We were never really fans. I actually have never read them. This film. Um, I, I haven't either. And I think that I did weird. read. I've read Lord of the Rings. I never read Dune. So. <laughs> same, just same. Um, and yeah, a friend of mine said one of he was his only disappointment with the 2021 version is a huge piece of information is revealed early on in the film, which he says was reserved for later on in the story. Now, my opinion is I think that things like spice need to be explained early on to an audience because otherwise they ask the question, why do these things matter? And again, right. re-watching the 84 version, it actually makes the same reveal early on in the film just right. to get the, the audience up to speed. And especially with the book having been released, obviously you're, you're making the movie to appeal to fans of, of the novel or even the 1984 version here. So you can assume that there's a sizable amount of moviegoers that are already familiar with that reveal. And there's no reason to hang on to it simply because a couple people didn't read the book, in my opinion. I think you, you get to it. You, you jump right into the story, right? There's some reveals that you, you have to save, you know, like, you know, Professor Snape and Harry Potter. Like, you don't got to <laughs> knock that one out. Yeah. But I mean, there's other things that it's like, I mean, hey, this is, you know, really what we're talking about is in the beginning of the movie, they reveal that spice is important, not only as kind of a life and mind altering or a life giving and mind altering uh, kind of substance. It also is important for interstellar travel and it's impossible without it in this kind of world they built. And they just get to it right up front, even though, you know, later in the novel, it's it's used as a big revelation. And I think about like, you know, at the climax, like about three fourths through the book. Mm -hmm. So but I think they're doing it right. So but before we move on, I mentioned earlier that there was a second reason that I didn't think Blade Runner 2049 worked and Dune does. And that is honestly a little bit of cinematography. I think in the original Blade Runner, I think they use these big grand shots of LA and ships flying and, you know, Coca-Cola signage to really kind of give us a scope scale and idea of what the world is like in this Blade Runner future. And they do it to great effect. I mean, Blade Runner, Sean, if you're listening, uh, Blade Runner has inspired a lot of works, whether it's in other science fiction, video games, anime, it's, it's definitely had its influence on Absolutely. people's opinions about the future. Absolutely. And the problem here is in Blade Runner 2049, they use these big scoping shots, like massive shots, but they don't really add a whole new dimension. And the problem I think is they really linger on these shots for a long time. And mood wise, this works because the score in Blade Runner 2049 is amazing. Like you could probably, if you wanted to, you could probably just like take shots of, 
the cinematography and play the score over it and put it on at your work desk and you'd get a lot done. It's amazing. <laughs> but story-wise, like you said, it doesn't advance the story very much. It doesn't take us to new depths. It doesn't really show us a world all that different from the original Blade Runner. And so these, these large shots don't necessarily serve the story so much as they are just beautiful to look at. Come all the way back to Dune in part one in 2021. Here, I think the cinematography and the shots are really serving the story. They're showing us worlds that we've never been to, or at the very least, in this new context, yeah. right? And they're, they're showing us, you know, how the actual dunes, how the spice works, how the, you know, the mining works, how uh, Kaladin looks, the water planet, how, I mean, there's so much yeah. that it's almost like you only get this kind of one shot to really kind of show us unless you're going to like, you know, follow these people into town, which they don't do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you, they use these great big shots to, you know, a, a really uh, positive effect. And I think that works really well here. So anyway, I just had to finish my Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> rant because I well, can't leave our listeners hanging. No, you're right. And we can't really talk about one without acknowledging the other because it, they are so linked. Um, oh, yeah. And they're both, like I said, I'm not knocking 2049. I just think Blade, or I think uh, Dune here is, is, is maximizing, right? Where I, I don't think, you know, Blade Runner 2049 got filled all the way to the top of the cup. Exactly. No, exactly. So I think Dune, though, is doing something really great then with the cinematography. And then that takes us back to our original point, which is that's why you should go see it in theaters. Don't miss out. Go oh while it's there. Don't miss out. It's such a they might re-release it when part two comes out. All right, hang on. Oh, top of the episode. I'm I'm really excited oh. for this, but I got I gotta throw it over to you here because why in the world would this studio make a Dune part one and Dude. not have part two lined up? Dude, this it is was W Warner Brothers. This is the stupidest decision in the history of film. Okay. Like, listen, if we're going to say, I don't hey, get it. we're going to shell out 160 million plus an extra 100 million, let's say for PNA, right? To promote yeah. this film. Then why don't we just lean into it and say, okay, this is close to $300 million. Uh, we're, we're committed to bringing Dune and doing it right. Now, if, if you aren't truly committed to Dune, then either say uh, you have to do it less or we're going with a different filmmaker whose vision we agree with. But why invest yeah. all this money up front, call in this amazing cast of talented actors who, like, let's not kid ourselves, these are busy working actors and they managed right. to assemble an incredible cast. I know one of them just wiped out half the universe. <laughs> <laughs> so Shout the out, point Josh is, Brolin. I, I just don't understand why they didn't learn from Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings and say, you know what, if we're going to be going to Norway and Jordan and Abu Dhabi, then hell. Let's shoot it all at one time, and we're we're gonna bet the farm on this that it's gonna be huge, and it would have been huge. I mean, I, I don't understand yeah, I, it. I do have to agree here. It was a little mind boggling. I didn't know that part two was not greenlit, and then I saw it on social media about a week after, maybe a couple of days after Dune released, yeah. to good reviews and uh, you know really good word of mouth. So it was interesting to me because I once I found out that it wasn't greenlit, I was like, so wait a minute, were you guys like? If it bombed, were you just going to leave it hanging? I mean, 
how could you, yeah, how could you invest all this? And, and it, it literally brought to mind, like you said, Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings. I remember uh, I had the uh, extended edition, so I watched oh, the DVD great. behind the scenes. And they had addressed the fact that initially when he had pitched Lord of the Rings, uh, after what a digital had done their like uh, animatic samples that they were proving they could, they could actually make this movie, the studio new line, I think, was like, well, we only want to do two movies. And Peter Jackson was like, listen, if you're going all in here on two, we might as well just do it right and do three. Now, in this case, this worked out massively well because the third one, Return of the King, won all the Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now, not to say that, you know, there aren't, you know, if you were to talk to our friend Matt Helson, he would tell you you could probably cut out like three fourths of that whole trilogy. But <laughs> I disagree. And I think stupid. the same thing. Well, I think the same thing here would do, which is I think you you lean into the world building. You you right? There's already a 1984 version that crammed the whole thing into one movie. That that cut out Make three fourths of the story. Yeah. 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 You know, I could almost see it being like, you know, like an eight episode, you know, a six episode season of a show. There's just so much world, so much stuff happening that to do it in a cinematic way, it seems like you you want a part one and a part two and you want to do it right. Yeah. So I don't know what they were thinking. I would love to talk to some, you know, Hollywood executives, <laughs> find out, you know, how things are going over at WB. You know, how's Christopher Nolan? <laughs> <laughs> no that's uh yeah it's interesting it's very interesting so okay um obviously audience you know our position here on the new dune um i really enjoyed it i i did too i mean um i don't throw this word around a lot when i'm discussing films but i i think it's incredible and I think part of what makes it incredible is when we compare it to the train wreck that is 1984. So let's just kind of look back on the David Lynch version for a moment. Now, I'll, another disclaimer, I'm not a huge David Lynch fan to begin with. His style is very not akin to, to most of the movies that I enjoy. I mean, obviously okay. he's made some great films, Blue Velvet, um, you know. Think, think of another one. Uh, Mulholland Drive. That, that was the one I was thinking of. I was like, what's the name of it? Where the girl runs down the mountain, Mulholland Drive. The point is, this was clearly outside of his element. And I think, you know, he's gone on to acknowledge like this was not the type of, I mean, he, he himself has pretty much disowned the original cut. He said, I was thinking it would be something more akin to four hours than what we ended up with. I, he didn't have final edit. So in his defense, not the movie he wanted to make. Also, I think we can both agree, probably not the style of movie he should have made as a director and an artist. Well, what's interesting too, when you say that he wanted to distance himself, I didn't know this. Apparently he used an alias uh, in future releases of that movie. So when you look at the actual director credit, it doesn't say David Lynch. It says <laughs> something else. And that was because he really did not want to be associated with it. Even though, I mean, obviously he always will be, you know, well, yeah, whether I, he loves it or not. But I, I, I think it's really weird. First of all, another opportunity to interject your favorite subject, Star Wars. You know, David Lynch was originally one of the people who Lucas approached about directing Return of the Jedi. Oh, I did not know that. So glad it didn't happen because based on this, I think that movie would have totally tanked. 
Now that technically would have come out before this. And if he had directed Return of the Jedi, probably wouldn't have directed Dune. So who knows what we would have got. Fact. Uh, also, Ridley Scott was very interested in bringing Dune to the big screen in the late 70s. Um, and then he went with Blade Runner. So, you know, it's kind of interesting <laughs> in the sense that this has been an ambitious film project that a lot of people wanted to see happen before it did. Um, I mean, I don't like, listen, I, I think the, in my mind, I always remember the 1984 cut of Dune being a four hour movie. So I was absolutely shocked when I watched it leading up to this episode. Oh, in fact, it was only through. two hours and 15 minutes because it's the longest two hours and 15 minutes, the most convoluted two hours and 15 minutes of my entire life. Yeah, it, it's crazy because when you watch it, there's just so much trying to happen all at once. And that's what I think this version, the 2021 version of Dune gets right, is it gives you time to sit and watch. And it allows the filmmakers, the set designers, right? Uh, the co- it, it allows them to get down to the detail that a movie like Dune deserves. And I think the number one thing you can say about the 84 version is that, you know, it didn't age well. Dude, you know, it, I, it's well, very like campy. It, it I, I don't even know if it's campy. I think it's full on cheesy. And it reminds me of like, yeah, it's old a little tough. 1960s Star Trek episodes. And the difference yeah, is it's yeah, from the 60s and made for television. Now, and we know, we just talked about Return of the Jedi. I, you know, it was, you know, we just recently did an episode on Ghostbusters. There's movies from the 80s that have aged fantastic for the most part, right? Now, yeah. granted, we're on, you know, I'm not usually watching the Return of the Jedi cut that released in theaters. But, I mean, damn it, if that movie doesn't still play amazing. Well, Dune does not. It doesn't. It... <laughs> Well, and, and that was the comparison that kept going by in my mind. I mean, even everything from, you know, the the model work to the CG to the, but even the very basic things in, in costume and art design, when you compare it to Star Wars, you know, which c- oh, came out doesn't hold seven candle. years before, you're like, this is night and day. You know, when you watch the... Uh, the Sardaukar in, in the 1984 Dune kind of run across Ugh. the desert. I'm like, it's like you just grabbed a bunch of people off the street. You're like, put on this costume and get out there. Whereas you look at the costume work and the attention to detail from the Star Wars movies, and it's it's mind-blowing. Well, I mean, it makes sense why those have somewhat of a timeless quality and they've endured over the years, and Dune has you know, faded into remakes. Now, I don't want to get into whether or not Force Awakens is a true remake, but uh, we'll get into that on this another day. You know, we're bringing up all kinds of stuff we're going to check out. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's interesting because I think the number one thing that stands out from a viewing experience to me is, and they're, they're so different, is the Baron. Oh my In gosh. The 1984 version, I mean, it's almost laughable when you he's got watch the boils on his face and he's like flying like, oh around. My God, how could you like? Like, let's say I wanted to show that movie to my kids or, you know, even my wife hasn't seen it. Like I show her. I mean, how could she take that serious? I'm like, no, when you watch, and then you watch Scarsgar as the Baron and you're like, that is like a creepy, evil. He's so powerful. He reminds me of Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. 
Like he's so gross. Like he's eating, he's like, you know, overweight, but like awkwardly overweight. He's like floating. He's yeah. making weird noises. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like what the hell? This guy's freaking me out. But the one in, in 1984, I was like, I mean, not, no offense to the, the actor himself. It's mostly the actual effects, the, the lighting and set design. I was like, this is so, it was like neon green. I was like, am I at a rave? Like <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just, I don't know. It was like weird. And it weird in a way that isn't like charming. It's sometimes there's things that aren't very good, but you're like, they have a like Starship Troopers has that weird, but it's alluring and you love it. Yeah. You're like, whatever. This is pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear, Um, but I, this is the number one thing I have to give the 84 version. And this is true because the tone of the 2021 one is somewhat uh, very serious, very somber. There's not a lot of laughs. I mean, to its credit, 1984 Dune is a lot more fun. I mean, in the way that like Batman and Robin is fun. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you watched it back then and you, you enjoyed it, you know, it didn't age well, but I mean, you could still have a good time watching, you know, it's almost like, like I said, it's kind of like can't be fun. If you get into it and and just accept that, you know, it's not new Dune, you're like, yeah, I mean, you could enjoy it. I think there's definitely more to laugh. That's for sure. Um, No, I think, in my opinion, the one thing that I do think the original Dune does really well is it has, I actually love the Dune score. Okay. Like the Dune yeah. theme. Um, I think yeah. that's a great theme. I think one of the problems I have walking at, probably the only problem I have really walking out of the 2021 one is from a music standpoint, we don't have an iconic score that you can walk away humming. Uh, a lot sure. of that is Hans Zimmer said, hey, my dream has always been to score Dune. So he was so thrilled when he got the ask to be involved with the project. He very intentionally set about trying to create a score that we'd never heard before. You know, they invented new instruments. And he oh, said, wow. I want this to sound like it's not of this world. And it does. And I mean, the score itself is fantastic. I just wish that there was that theme that you could hum while you're, you know, cooking breakfast. And the, the 84 one does that. So. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, honestly, think about, uh, like the Avengers theme, like you could literally play the Avengers theme. Like when you're going to serve dinner, you could play it when you're going to take a dump. You could, you know what I mean? Like when that yeah. note hits, you, I mean, you just feel like a hero. Yeah, it's, no, it's, um, it's so well done and you can hum it. And I don't know, it's it's a lot of fun when these movies do tend to reach those levels. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, one of the greatest scores of all time across a trilogy is Star Wars, but it's remarkable. Like I to this day, like I'll watch it's, you know, it's Christmas season. You go to YouTube, you type in Star Wars Christmas and you see people who set up their lights and they they play to all the different Star Wars themes like you know, you hear Star Wars music at football games. You, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it was so iconic. Not that you had like, that's not one in a million. Cause it was John Williams. I mean, he's done it like eight times. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, it's like, I understand what you're saying. You, you want Dune. It's like, Oh man, to really stick 
to stick the landing, we got to walk out with that moment where you're like, oh, that was amazing. Yeah. You know, that Avengers one moment where they spin the camera around all the yeah, Avengers, yeah. And the theme plays. And you're like, oh, my God, this is I've waited my whole, you know, comic book geek life for this moment in movies. No, and absolutely. it totally was amazing. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there where Dune, it was like, oh, man. And maybe, I mean, not to say that it's only part one, but typically you got to introduce a score early so that it kind of hits later. It's got a crescendo. So I don't know if they can pull it off in part two, but I mean, I would like to see a little something because we know, I mean, I know what happens, but (laughs) you watch watch 1984. Yeah. If you watch 1984 version, then you should know what happened. No, again, when but we're comparing the two versions, it is actually very um almost surreal. There are scenes which are dialogue for dialogue and and almost beat for beat identical between the new version and the old version. And do you think that's I, just because they lift some text out of the book? I that's got to be it. Um it just in my takeaway was wow, you can really see how faithful the adaptations were to the novel if they're both like line for line the same. Again, I think in most, pre- <laughs> no most, in every one of those situations, the 2021 version is better. And part of it is that the 2021 version, as we said, it just gives it the time to marinate and breathe. These things aren't so compressed that by the time the scene's done, you're still trying to figure out what happens, right? Yeah. I think the other major crime about the first one is there are so many actors, but none of them get the opportunity to own these characters and really make them their own because it's almost like they're introduced, they say their name, the audience has moved on and forgotten who they are and why they're integral to the story. It felt very almost soap opera-y when I was watching it. And I mean, it is an adaptation, but there's also something to be said for, you know, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Princess Leia, they're easy to say. They're easy. They're memorable. Skywalker is incredibly memorable as a name, Mm -hmm. right? It's, you know, Harkonnens. There's, you know, like, you're like, I don't know. Well, but even more than that. I (laughs) I mean, mean, I know it's an adaptation, so it's like you can't do anything about it now, but it's like, you know, kind of hard to say. No, I mean, that's I true. But even more than that, I mean, when you compare Jason Momoa's version of Duncan Idaho, first of all, total badass in the new Dune. That's a good name, too. Great name. I was, gonna, I was actually going to say, I was like, if anything was named right in that movie, <laughs> it's Spice and Duncan Idaho. Like, and I know in the book, Spice has like technically a different name, but they basically just, they're like, it's Spice. Yeah. Um, I mean, he is what? Probably in you know, his, his character is a central portion of most of the first movie, right? You know, there's periods where he kind of disappears and comes back and does his thing. But when you compare it to the 1984 Dune, the character of Duncan Idaho is in it for like a total of two minutes. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, you took this character who everyone who reads the book loves. In fact, he was so beloved that he ends up coming back in some way that we won't get into in the, well, in the book series. Yeah, fun fact, in the book series, I think he actually appears, I don't know in what form, but he appears in every single book. Yeah. Right. The only character. Care, everybody loves this guy. Um, 
Jason Momoa makes him be such a badass. And just when you compare the 84 version, you're like, that is not what we got at all. He's an afterthought, a throwaway character. And I think it's kind of a crime for the novel. And what a, what a disappointment for the actor who probably read the book thought I get to play this badass soldier, dude, how cool. And then they're like, Oh, by the way, you only need to be here for like one day of filming. Cause that's, that's all you got, bro. Damn. Yeah. No. And I thought him, uh, Jason Momoa and Josh Brolin uh, were really the only two places where we got a little lightheartedness, a little comedy. Most of it. I mean, it, you need characters like that to mm-hmm. just relieve sometimes some of the tension you know, because this all builds up and it gets serious. Well, when things are, are like too serious and you, you can't have fun, sometimes you're kind of like you, you turn off a little bit. You're kind of yeah. like, oh, you know, it needs to ramp up and ramp down so that you can, you know, take me on that ride, that roller coaster. <laughs> and they're kind of the two characters that I thought, you know, in the movie, uh, they're used to that effect where when they tend to be on screen, right? Like whenever anybody would come up to Leto, you know, Josh Brolin would always had a knife to their throat. Yeah. You know, like he was always making little comments about this. And that. I was like, yeah, those two, they definitely needed to be there. You know, that's a good comparison too. I mean, when you compare the Gurney Halleck by Josh Brolin, I'm like, yeah, this is like a grizzled old soldier that has proven himself time and time again. You compare it to the 84 version with Patrick Stewart. And don't get me wrong. I love Patrick Stewart. I love him as Professor X. I love him as Picard. Oh, sure. Yeah. This is not a role that he was cast correctly in. You know, he's bald on the top. He's got the, the hair like mine in the back. And he's supposed to be the badass, you know, soldier from the House of Atreides. Did not get that in any way. Yeah. So, you know, it was one of those things. I think the casting was better. Uh, we have to acknowledge that. And I even thought, you know, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how to say his name. I think it's Timothy Shamalot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he did a, a, a very solid job as Paul Atreides. Um, you know, he has that kind of youngster coming of age quality about him. You could almost sense it by the end. And that's why I says, say he did a really good job. It's because by the time uh, House Atreides is attacked and basically ruined, He's looking for his dad. He's looking for Duncan Idaho. And once you get to the end of the film, he's stepping in now and saying, it's me. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can't look to these other people in the movie. They do a good job of this, of stripping those people away as it goes on. You know, everybody tends to fall. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're like, oh shit, like half of the Atreides characters are dead or probably more than half. Yeah. No. No, you're right. It's crazy. Um, so, but that I liked his acting because I really got the sense at the end, like, especially he delivers that last line and that's the, mm, yes. Yeah. When his mom's like, we need to get back to Kaladin. You need to get us off world. And he's like, no, my path lies through the, the desert. desert. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, oh so yes. Finally. There's that. Yeah, like, it's like a, a little moment. shot of a, yeah. Yeah, a little yeah. shot of adrenaline at the end. I was like, now I can't wait for part two. Like, But to see him, because the whole story really is a story about his destiny. What is he destined for? And they get into that. Maybe we could talk about it. But, you know, really, uh, they do most of the focus on his needing to, you know, take the mantle from his father if anything should ever happen. Can he rise up for House Atreides and kind of be a leader? And that's really where the movie 
goes. He's a talented kid. Obviously, like we said, when you get into his destiny, he kind of has superpowers and this and that. But at the same time, like he's very, very hesitant to ever really kind of take action. He's always yeah. looking to these other people. And why wouldn't he? Because they're very good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. The movie doesn't necessarily prove that point. So they all die. But like, <laughs> at least before they die, you don't totally have trust in these characters. You're like, no, I mean, they'll figure it out. Yeah. And yeah. So to that end, I, I really liked his character arc of by the end of this part one, he's ready to step into the role that the question is asked probably within the first 10 minutes of the film. So I think that's a great arc. And it's a, it's a mythological arc, you know, (laughs) it's a coming of age story. So it's not unique to Dune, but I thought they pulled it off well. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the, the coming of age, like, obviously, as you said, there is very, a very camp, you know, very Joseph Campbell kind of hero's journey throughout this movie, which, you know, is something I know we both love. But I thought it was really well. Maybe we should bring it up. All right, real quick. We have discussed Star Wars during this episode. Now there is accusations that George Lucas sort of ripped off Dune, the book, when he made the original Star Wars. And watching this movie and watching the 1984 one, I can see the elements: the voice, the desert planet, right, the Force, and Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Um, they have sandworms i guess in return of the jedi they have a sarlacc pit like <laughs> yeah you know i don't know i mean even the baron kind of reminded me a little bit of like job of the hut yeah i i could see the connections but i was like hey i mean star wars is its own thing you know i guess they have the empire the emperor so i was like i i totally see where people would make that connection right True. yeah 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 But I was like, when you actually look at the stories, like I always like to say, you know, uh, you look at something like Harry Potter, right? Hogwarts. J.K. Rowling doesn't own the rights to every wizarding school. I could write my own story about my own unique characters at this own unique wizarding school. Like she doesn't own that, but she owns the copyright to Hogwarts and Harry Potter and all the names and all the stuff, right? I just can't use those things. It reminded me a little bit of that where it was like, you know, no, it's not an actual ripoff of Dune. It's like a totally 100% different story, but I see the borrowed elements. But the thing is, like, Star Wars is a mismatch, mishmash of all these Westerns and Akira Kurosawa. And like, yeah, all the things the Lucas loved anyway. Yeah, his um, Saturday morning serials and probably Dune. I was I like, mean, I don't know. I, I think one of the big differences is when you look at the character of Luke versus the character of Paul, right? Herbert okay. was very, made it very clear that he said, I want this story about Paul finding his destiny, not just be the fact that he is the chosen one, but he has also worked, right? He has trained, right? He has prepared to be, you know, a political leader by working with his father. He is prepared to be a mentat by, you know, training that way. He has, you know, trained with his mother to be a Benny Gesserit. So because of that, he has all these different skills that he has refined over his lifetime. That mean when he meets, you know, with his training meets the opportunity, he can fulfill his destiny. No. And I feel, I feel like Luke falls more into the traditional hero's journey. Exactly. Star Wars follows that almost to a T where this is, I mean, it's much more political. And like you said, it's much more, I guess, not, uh, destiny driven even though they do deal with that theme um it's much more i guess like like you said there's more work 
involved. Right. I mean, Luke Skywalker by birthright, you know, has the ability to tap into the fourth and, and become a Jedi. That's not something that just every random person in the Star Wars universe can do. He is gifted and set apart and chosen on the basis of who he is. And I think those two starting points of those characters set them along two very different paths, which, you know, we can talk about once we see the second half of, you know, Doom. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, I do too. So I I had to bring that up because I've heard that before. And obviously I've seen 1984 Dune before. And if you watch 19, like you said, if you watch 1984 Dune and 1977 Star Wars, it's like laughable. Night and day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's like, and even to that end, like people, most of their, you know, most people's probably exposure to Dune is probably via film or, you know, uh, one of the sci-fi remakes or whatever it is, rather than having read the book. So if Star Wars came first and did it better, compared to 1984 true true. hard to argue i think it's funny um you know when we look at hero's journey right the refusal of the call is such a fundamental element and i actually one of the things i really love about dune is when paul does refuse the call early on his father is okay with it he's like listen you don't have to be anything other than my son if you're gonna go on and do great things that's great but I'm not expecting that of you. And I thought that was a cool twist because typically, right, the hero refuses the call and the rest of, of, of the world around him is, you know, kind of lambasting him for that and for, you know, shrugging off his destiny, right? That's, that's a good source of tension. So I thought in, in this, it was an interesting kind of twist. I do have to say that in Star Wars's defense, Obi-Wan did say, you must do what you feel is right. Oh, I mean, not everything's about <laughs> Star Wars, Dustin. All right, sorry. Enough Star Wars mentions now that we're past it. So, yeah, getting back to uh, Dune 2021 and the 1984 version. So we've kind of gone through the story, the effects. Obviously, again, you know, this being an updated version, I felt like, you know, all the special effects were better. Set design was better. You know, it was all better. But I mean, in a way, like, no, in that sense, like, no offense to 1984, you know, judged on its own, we can have our opinions, but I would expect it to be better, you know, right? True, true, true. So, you know, that's not, that's not odd. We're talking about like almost what, 35 years or I can't even do math. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Like 40 years almost. Almost. I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that, that I, I like you said, I like the, the theme from the 1984. I liked that the 1984, I felt it was more fun. Uh, they were having a little bit more fun with it, where this one takes itself very seriously. Dude, what did you think about the cat scene? Loved it. <laughs> yeah. All right, sorry. Continue. Continue. Yeah. Well, <sighs> Everything else, though, I think has to you, sh- you, you shift to the 2021 version. I just think it's it's better. And there were no giant vagina mouth brain people. Also cool. No, it's freaking know? weird. <laughs> it's like. I don't know, it's like I'm assuming like the people who made Stranger Things had to have like watched 1984 do. <laughs> they had, to you have. know, yeah, they had to like got to be an inspiration somewhere (laughs) so yeah generally speaking i mean obviously i fall towards i really enjoyed the new one 
Um, I'm looking forward to part two. I hope that they're able to kind of close all the arcs that, you know, we kind of get a, a complete story. I do have to ask you, okay, here's another element of the 2021 one that I, I actually heard complaints about. And I heard these complaints about Lord of the Rings. And that is that this movie ends on a cliffhanger. It is not a sequel in the sense that like, it's just the next chapter or story in the overall thing. It's like, no, this is like, it's going to pick up right where this one left off. Right. Yeah. And I actually did hear some complaints. People said they were not a fan of the fact that it didn't end, that there wasn't a conclusion. It just kind of like cuts off midway. And I heard the same, I heard a lot of people were upset and I don't know if they never read Lord of the Rings, but a lot of people were upset at the end of fellowship of the ring when they were like, walking over the hill and you could see like Mount doom in the background. And then it's like the, the music fades out and they're like, what? <laughs> so nothing happens with the ring. You're like, now nah, you got to wait through another movie to find out what happens. Uh, I mean, I mean, listen, I- I'm with you. Obviously I've seen Lord of the Rings. We've seen the Hobbit movies as, as film going audiences, we are used to sequels that are really just kind of like a cutoff point, And then we're going to pick it up on the next one. Yeah. Star uh, Wars again is a great example. Harry yeah. Potter. It's like each right. year and then it each has each one has its own complete arc. The bigger point is this. When you go into a movie called Dune and within the first minute of the film, Dune comes up and underneath it says part one. I mean, how stupid do you have to be to then be surprised <laughs> that the movie doesn't round up all nicely? It's the first half of the damn movie. They told us that at the start. More importantly, I think it works as a film because if we're following the arc of Paul Atreides, he has, he, you know, he has made it through the desert. He's come out on the other side and he has grown as a person. He has decided that he is going to follow his own destiny, not look to others, as you pointed to earlier. He accepts the challenges put before him. I mean, that is a, a we have seen the growth of the character. We've seen the transformation. So from Paul's perspective, that is enough to end a story where I'm like, cool, I saw the growth I need. I don't have an issue with it. All right. Well, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to discuss about Dune while we got the time? Because, I mean, honestly, I think our audience knows where we fall here. It shouldn't be a surprise at the end, you know, which one I think we prefer. But, I mean, we really touched on a lot of elements about what was going on here. So a couple, I only, I'm always so confused with why Sting decided to be in the 84 film. Oh yeah. It seems kind of a way, I mean like Sting, like one of the big, biggest musical stars at the time. I was wondering, A, why you cast him that way. But why was he, I mean, maybe he's just a huge Dune fan. I don't know for him to just be like. Could be. I, I don't yes. know the answer to that question. We're making a Dune movie. But I thought it was kind of a miscast, right? It's not like he's like, there's a character who runs around singing all the time. And they're like, well, let's just make him be Sting. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, like, think of like, a, you know, the movie Purple Rain. You know, Prince kind of plays Prince. And, and that's pretty fine. well. Yeah, yeah I right? mean, it was pretty memorable if you like Prince. But what's really weird is uh, that character is not actually introduced at all in the new Dune film. Which, but he will be though, yeah? I, I'm assuming he will be. I just thought it was yeah, weird I, that he was not introduced at all in this film. I actually read something that it was deliberate and it, I read that they, uh, 
they didn't want to introduce the character. They wanted to give him the introduction he deserved, and they felt that the screen time should be reserved for part two. Fair enough. That makes sense. And yeah, that's what I that's read. That's the answer that, I was looking for. So great. Yeah, Fantastic. that they had already introduced the characters that they needed for this one, and that they took artistic liberty there, and they were like, listen, he's an important character, but it's too many. They were like, we're going to give him a proper introduction in part two. That's fair. That's fair enough. So, but I, I believe he should be coming. You know, it's, it's so weird because all of this was speculative because it wasn't greenlit. You know, I guess all yeah, this right? could change. I don't know. You know, it, it, it's weird because if it wasn't greenlit, then even though they're talking about it, I mean, that's all hypothetical. You know, you're like, I don't know. I mean, may, he should be in it, but who knows? <laughs> Where, you know, if you make the movies at the same time, you're like, no, he's definitely in part two. We just moved his story. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I mean, listen, I, I don't know what else we can talk about other than just fanboy out for the next three or four hours, which I'm okay with doing because. What did you think of the, uh, of the sandworms? You mean. Between... In both. Like what? Yeah, what'd you think? <laughs> um, I think the sandworms in the new one are awesome. They're massive. They're massive. Right? And they're intimidating. And you're like, wow, that is, that's some straight desert power right there. Um, yeah. They look so cheesy in the old one. And, and they honestly, they look exactly almost like just big tremors. Like, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. I was like, it reminded me of tremors. Yeah. The, oh, that's what I wanted to say. I was like, the, yeah. the 1984, it reminds me of like Tremors. And not that, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, who knows if Tremors, some guy read Dune and was like, I'm going to do it modern day. Dune. Yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> and by the who way, knows? shout out, Tremors rocks is a movie. The first one's amazing. Yeah. Kevin Bacon, you're great. Absolutely. Um, but so, yeah, no, I just kept thinking, I was like, that looks exactly like, it's like, I wonder if they use like the graboids or whatever or they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, I mean, that was funny. I, I really, I mean, I think the new one definitely captured the, the size, the scale. And one of the really neat things that I loved, I, they did it twice, I think, but they had characters try to run away and it was almost like the sandworm uh, created like quicksand. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I thought yeah. that was kind of a cool effect because it like, instead of just having to run, it made it like twice as hard if it's already that yeah, close. Yeah, You're that screwed. Was cool. That was fun. So yeah, I liked that. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot really to take in, and it's a movie. I think Dune Part One. It's definitely worth a rewatch before Part Two comes out, so you can, uh, you know, kind of get all your names and all the, you know, where everybody is lined up because there's just so much. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, ultimately, I'm gonna fall and say, I like Dune 2021 better. Uh, I think 1984, like I said, it's a product of its time. It has its place. It kind of has that, that campy ability that if you were ever into it, you could probably still watch it and enjoy it. But now <laughs> that there's a newer version, it's like, I mean, it's hard to go backwards. I mean, but yeah. to its credit, it is the full movie or the full story, sorry, in one movie. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. But I just, to me, if, you know, we, we do total rewind and we do movie remake time. And if you're asking me if that movie holds up, I think the answer is no, it doesn't. <laughs> like if I watched Dune 1984 and I didn't know there was a new one, I'd be like, that movie needs to be remade. It, <laughs> it needs a new one. It, yeah. We need a new version. Yeah. 
Because that, um, that's not it. It's not it. Now, audience, if you still have no idea what we're talking about, friend of mine that I saw the movie with, different one. Uh, yeah, side note, I have now seen Dune in the theaters five times. Um, oh, wow. That's like, that's like 10 hours. Like yeah, well, it was a good 12 movie. hours, probably. It's Point like two and a half hours. It's like, tw- it's like 12 hours. Best comparison <laughs> that we can give is this. And I did not, I, I have to borrow this from a friend of mine who said it. You know, uh, the first Dune is you can tell the filmmakers read the book and loved it. But more importantly, they read the whole thing. With 1984, you can tell the filmmakers read the cliff notes of the book. <laughs> and that's kind of really the difference. So like you, I'm going to agree. The new Dune is by far the better Dune. Um, it's everything that we kind of want from a modern you know, approach to revisiting this classic novel. And they, yeah, it does like not I disappoint. Said, the, the only two things I think that it was missing was, you know, maybe a slightly more iconic theme, even though the score was great, enjoyed mm-hmm. it a lot. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, you know, maybe a, a tad bit more fun, like swashbuckling or something, you know, a little bit, you know, uh, it's, it's very serious. So be prepared for that. But other than that, you know, uh, it's really, it's a lot of, it's, it's a lot to take in and it's really cool. I feel like Dune could have benefited from an R2-D2 character. Yeah, you know, it, it, I think to me, the, the closest movie that captures that swashbuckling fun, and it is a swashbuckler, is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. <laughs> and I mean, that movie is just like, it's, it's fun through and through. I mean, when they show you Tortuga and you get all the pirates and like all the stuff, you know, they just, they don't really have that here. And, I, you know, that's the mood they're going for. It's deliberately done that way. And it doesn't in any way to me actually impact the final product. I think it's great. Yeah, I just, you know, like I said, I, I like a little fun here and there. Fair you enough. Know? Fair enough. Well. Little side adventure, right? Like Simba and Nala go to the elephant graveyard. They need a little <laughs> side thing. The hyenas how, show up there. Are funny. we now playing yeah, how many other movies can we reference in this episode? Because <laughs> we're up to like 47 now, I think. I know. Yeah, I just that like that one scene. It needs like that one scene where like Paul and somebody they like escape out and like go on a little side quest and you know, just so we can get to know their characters and their, you know, get them, you know, outside of the politics. But like I said, in all fairness, that's not in the book. <laughs> so why would it be in the movie? Fair enough. But all right, to our listeners, I do want to say thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Be sure to continue the conversations on social media as well as on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as wherever any el- where else podcasts are, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, there's a couple other podcast directories, main directories you can find us. So be sure to subscribe. And if you want, go ahead and leave us a uh, review. Let us know how we're doing. If there's any, uh, you know, new episodes you want to see or any feedback you have for us on things that we can work on. So we really do appreciate you guys tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the discussion. CP, I'm going to throw it over to you. Thanks for checking out this episode. Uh, We hope that if you have not seen, well, I'm not even going to play that game. Don't watch the old Dune. Go watch the new Dune. If you've seen it, see it again. In the meantime, Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next week where we're talking about our next movie. In the meantime, keep watching movies and we're going to see you next week.